talking about the podcast, and since we're talking about a podcast, about podcasts, I, you know what? I think I've already crawled completely up my own ass. And oh, hey! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so this is, uh, this is from the rooftops. This, um, like, you know, you know, that's clay. <laughs> and you know, that's talent. Yeah, and, uh, Excelsior True Believers, because we're gonna reference things that weren't in this podcast. But you have to go and dig them up yourself. Yeah. No. <laughs> like, like that time Deadpool kicked Captain America in the dick. Yeah, uh, and so who was that for specifically, do you think? Uh, really? That particular moment? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, because it wasn't for Liefeld. Mm-hmm. Um, you, like, the fact that Deadpool was successful was almost a spite Liefeld, because he'd gone to Image by that point. Mm-hmm. You, you gotta think, if you invented Deadpool as a joke, you've gotta be pretty pissed right now at the fact that he's getting a fucking movie and all that. That's, yeah. Uh, well, he's not getting, he's not getting a cartoon. There's <laughs> <laughs> six pages of him not getting that cartoon. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> so petty. Um, so, it. hi, we're gonna talk for a bit this week about meta narrative, specifically characters who are aware of the fact that they are taking part in a comic book narrative. This is going to range from the very obvious to some of the more subtle, to the characters who do it seriously and the characters who do it as a sort of, you know, big old joke. All right? Yeah. Sound good to you? Cool. I'm glad you agree. Mm. Yeah, we'll be... Sir Clay. ...discussing directly with you more than often, I guess. That, that, that's a... That, yeah. This is a, that's a weird <laughs> context to apply here. I don't know... It works for different mediums. What was better. that, the listener? Clay's being a wuss about this? Yeah, I think so too. You're so smart, the listener. This motherfucker, right? <laughs> so, okay, let's let's start with the gentlest version of this. Um, meta narrative is the idea of story elements that are outside of the story you're in. So, broadly speaking, you can say any comic that leads into another comic is itself meta narrative. That there is a greater narrative than just that one comic, but. That's not what we usually mean. When someone says something is meta, they're usually talking about how it is above the level of the narrative. It is greater than just the mere story of the comics they're telling. I bring up this very technical definition only to remind you that as with all the terms we're using, we're not using them perfectly. There's always some ambiguity about them. Yeah, like the general thing that comes to mind when we talk about meta is like stories about the story, so to speak. Or like... yeah you know, actions that take place in the story that are explicitly stated to be about, like, the story. Like, even just the act of, well, we have to do something to move the plot along. And, you know, someone says some shit like that. And... Yeah. Um, in in some comedy events, there's, um... There was, for a time there, in a couple of different comics, a object called the P-L-O-T device. <laughs> and that, it was literally just a thing a bunch of people were trying to gather, get control of. And it was not very funny, and it wasn't very good, but it was it was just there... As a as a joke about meta narratives and plot devices, like okay, again, this is where like the the, the meta the like textbook ne- meta narrative of comics can get kind of weird because when you introduce these, and this is again, by the way, people, when I do things like this, when I go on these little tangents, you don't have to treat them like they matter. Like they don't have to. You don't have to. Yeah. Because I'm saying this to say this. All right. Uh, she Hulk is aware that she is in the comic book, but like that don't necessarily apply to the Punisher, but they're in the same universe, so it does. But it doesn't. But kind of does. 
you know i i have a friend on twitter who's remarked to me that one of the cruelest things you can do to a comic book fan is make them explain hyper time to someone who doesn't read comics yeah and it's, it's that same kind of thing it's it's that um these stories are the same story except they're not the same story unless you want them to be the same story in which case they are the same story because you're so smart mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like uh <laughs> a friend of mine was talking to me, uh, I can't remember who it was, it was talking to me about, like, Gokaiger, uh, the Sentai, like, anniversary series, and at some point I was like, hey, you know, here's a link to where you can find it. And it's like, oh, great, does it have the other stuff? Like, you know, like Jetman? Like, I mean, I guess, but, like, if you're into it, that's cool, that's great. He's like, yeah, because I saw it, and I had to know. Like, I barely know, and I did not feel like I had to know. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, to, to use the terminology of the academic again, you actually are the creator of your own meta narrative. Mm. You, what you choose to care about and what you choose to let reflect on something else is interesting and important. In, in these comic book universes, they try and tell you the idea that every comic is important because they're all part of the great big story and they all reflect on one another. But you know that's nonsense. You know it's only the ones that connect in ways you care about that matter. Mm. So, for, all the people, like me, who will make fun of the fact that Batman hasn't solved all the problems in Gotham because he's just so silly rich. That only applies if you want it to. Mm-hmm. Because that's not what the story of Batman is about. It's just a coincidental reading you can get out of it. Yeah. And, again, with these these sort of overly meta characters, or like these extremely like fourth wall breaking meta characters, it... You that that's fun. You can like experience that character, and it's interesting, like how much that comes up and goes down. Like in their own book, you know, in the She Hulk book, She Hulk will run across. Well, in the older She Hulk books, I should say, like a savage She Hulk, she will run across the panels of a page and burst through an ad to get somewhere quicker. But like, she ain't doing that shit in Avengers. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in the, in the interest of being even more meta, just a, a table of contents kind of thing, we're going to talk about four characters in this episode. Mm. Uh, just to give you different degrees and varieties of met, of metaness. And those characters are in order, uh, zero, She-Hulk, one, Squirrel Girl, two, Deadpool, and three, Animal Man. Oh, yeah. Sound good? <laughs> okay, I didn't know we were going to do a list, but I like this organization. Yeah, yeah. I, thought process. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's good to keep, in the meta episode, it's good to keep some of our planning, like, in the or actual edit, so that way that the listener is included in part oh, of yeah. it. No. They're so smart. Yeah. I mean, this was their idea, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm glad they brought it up. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, with, with She-Hulk, who's already been brought up, um, do you want to give us a quick rundown on that one there, Clay? Like, the, am I explaining She-Hulk's origin, or are you, wait? <laughs> Oh, well, you know, are we talking about it in context of this? <laughs> uh, yeah, qu- well, okay, so She-Hulk, as with all comic book characters, has two origin stories. She has the one that happened in the comics, like, where did this character first show up, and ooh, ooh, yeah. how does that fit into yeah. the, how they usually show up? And then there's the other. The reason the character um, exists. This was interesting. So, um, as I remember it, you have the Hulk, and, you know, he smash things. He had a popular TV show in the 70s, and everyone watched it. And then I... <sighs> I want to say it was the Benny Hill show, but it was definitely like a British sketch show. Just like did a sketch of Lady Hulk and, you know, she smashed things and whatever. And yeah, basically like they all saw that because like for years, Stan was like, oh, I hate, you know, Batwoman and, you know, Superboy and all those types of characters. I think that's lame. 
But then, like... The term is, by the way, uh, distaff counterpart. Right. You hate those type of characters. But then they have the realization that, oh, that's a that's a legal hole. And, I mean, we're currently, like, sitting on the name Captain Marvel just to piss off DC. So maybe, just maybe, we should, you know, make a Spider-Woman. Or uh, a She-Hulk. Cover or, our butts. Or uh, Miss Marvel, you know? And that's where those characters yeah. specifically come from. And that's sort of the like narrative of She-Hulk. And she pops up and she's uh, Bruce Banner's cousin. She got a blood transfusion. So she has a much more controlled version of the Hulk transformation. And to such an extent that she just enjoys it and stays as She-Hulk most of the time while being a lawyer. Uh, she was a like, supporting character. And when she got her own book rather quickly, like I think she was introduced in Hulk and then boom, She-Hulk book was being published for, you know, copyright purposes. It did okay. Yeah. And, and that joke, and that book, uh, it was, it was much more about extracting the urine, shall we say. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds so much worse when you say it like that. <laughs> well, I'm an academic after all. God, it's gross. It's so gross. <laughs> yeah, so, so the whole point like of, fucking, of She-Hulk was that like she was a originally to cover a hole. Or some shit. Yeah. Like the catheter cowboy. Uh, so, so the, the nature of She-Hulk was she was created to patch a hole, but because Stan Lee is still Stan Lee and he's still about gimmicks and he's still about like having a good handle on a character, She-Hulk was almost too perfectly designed as a, as an entity for storytelling. So for a start, almost all Hulk stories were tragedies. Just like structurally speaking, they all had at the end of the story, Hulk loses something or has to leave something right mm-hmm. um and like this is this isn't an original analysis this is something that was um god i want to say it was french but i couldn't give you an actual site um like french the surname not french the actual like Adjective. country uh but but when you when you when you break them down into the component parts there are certain classical behavioral archetypes that we associate in theater and drama with women and there are certain archetypes we associate with men Right there, there is a gender bias in the way we tell stories because we've been doing that and we've been copying each other's notes for thousands of years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the novel things about She-Hulk is that because she was created to be an opposite distaff, like even in narrative, to the Hulk, she's accidentally like a very subversive character. Like I don't think Stan Lee went, "I'm going to make a great feminist bikini model." who's green. I don't think he did that. I think it's just a coincidence of the way that he originally designed Hulk in a vacuum and then oppositing that. Cause so, so one of the things is a character is almost always in some way, uh, if they are beholden to their emotions and if they are incapable of controlling, um, their response to emotions, that's traditionally something that, uh, that theatrical fiction associates with women. Women characters don't make choices, they respond to stimuli. Princess right? Peach and her magical feelings game, whatever that game is. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, it, it's all stimulus response because their poor little featherheads couldn't handle anything more complicated. Except in Hulk and She-Hulk, She-Hulk is the one who can control her shape-shifting and it's the one, and Hulk can't. Um, another thing is that, and you'll see this in comics a lot, um, men's power tends to make them cooler and better whereas women's power tends to be at a cost so you'll see that uh it's very common for women characters i mean you know this is within a spectrum because all women in comics 
almost always are designed to be very hot. But um, say Poison Ivy, she gets a power to, to to inflict poison on people, but it means she can't touch them anymore. Um, whereas, whereas in that same story, Batman's power is just being Batman. So, like, there, there's a there's an inequality in how they relate to their power. And this isn't to say this is a hard rule and that only me, only women characters do this. But these are trends, and it, they've been broken down extensively in 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 literature. Uh, but in She-Hulk, her power makes her just a flat out better version of herself. She doesn't lose herself to her identity. She's not helpless. Uh, she doesn't make reckless choices. And she's a seven foot tall, gargantuan muscled bikini babe. And she doesn't view that as a bad thing, which is completely the opposite of, of how the Hulk works. Yeah. And as and I, as again, I like I said, Hulk's, get going. I was going to say, as I understand it, like the earlier She Hulk books were like this very much, it's like, this fun sex romp sort of thing. Kind of how I yeah. think the, like, current Harley Quinn books are published. Like, where it's just like, hey, let's just go on adventures and it's, you know, kind of titillating. And it got, like, increasingly weird and meta over time. Which was, yeah. like, like, as the, I guess as they ran out of jokes, they started being more, like, involved with their jokes. Yeah. And that's where we get to that place uh, where She-Hulk is a character very aware of her place in the comics universe. Yeah, there's also there's also in the context of um, the titillating leading to the meta. That's actually a really common traditional thing in comics of the time, where uh, where if if they did something raunchy, they would have in some way a nod and a wink to the audience of like, yeah, we just did that because we like it. It's not meant to make a point. Oh yeah, um, remember you, you'll remember see when like you would a just lot of be honest yeah, go and say, yeah, I made the android with the butt because I like butts. Send me, send yeah, me, yeah, yeah, send the, me the, the pictures. Yoko Taro defense. <laughs> send me the pictures. As opposed to the yeah. breathing through your skin. Yeah, um, there's a, I, I want to say there's a cover with Claremont. Not, no, not Claremont. Uh, I can't remember the name. There was, a, there was a cover, a famous cover of She-Hulk where she's skipping rope naked mm-hmm. and the blurring lines of the rope cover all the naughty bits. And there's a tiny little drawing of the artist in the corner smirking up at the camera like, whoop, look what I got away with. Cause it's a joke. And like that kind of meta humor will tie into the sexy style a lot in that particular category of look at what we're getting away with. It's, it wants to be cheeky. It wants to be fun. Okay. I'm not, by the way, I'm not defending this. I'm not saying this is good. I'm just showing you the, the, the linked cause and effect of, of the style. And there was a thing where, uh, they were like, Hey, she hug, why does all your clothes always happen to rip in such a way that you're not even naked? And she like flips open her, like, like a tab on her, like, ripped up dress, and it says, um, approved by the Comics Code Authority, right there on it. Like, yeah. Know. Yeah. Like that, by the way, that's a joke I like. I, I, I always found that one very funny. Um, in fact, um, She-Hulk is actually, so, so, you get this evolution of the character becoming meta-aware and meta-present, because that's just part of how they were writing her, and she was also a cool character, so they wanted to use her in more stories, and they wanted to do more stuff with her. And yes, they did want to draw a gigantic green bikini babe a lot. <laughs> it, 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 it's a thing. Again, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying this is this is how that industry worked at that time. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not. That could be fun sometimes. It, de- it also depends on who's who's doing it, and I guess what. Yep. Who they think is stopping them from getting away with something versus like what they're getting, you know, like there's a whole lot of context to any any all this shit, you know. Yeah. Like even even like, and if you if you happen to like a green titty, that is entirely fine. Don't think that I'm criticizing you. I may be criticizing the people who did it at the time, where they were quite happy to 
draw green bikini babes, but not really big on hiring any women. Any, but oh, you know any that's that's its own more complicated babes, thing. All those green people losing their jobs. Damn shame, man. Yeah, I I also heard a, a particularly weird um reading which pointed out that uh, Jennifer Walters is white, but She Hulk is black. And I believe that's on women in refrigerators. Just, just like affect I, and presentation and behavior. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not something I know. It's not something I understand. Um, I believe it connects to the myth of the Night Raven, which, like, when when you can refer to a media trope in in uh, what is it? A, black women's lives as the myth of the night raven i'm like this is this is off in the weeds from my entire experience i do not know anything about this okay well i don't know what this is either tell me about this black people thing uh well as i understand it and this is this is uh, understand i am now looking through a telescope at academic readings i didn't understand and can't formally contextualized because they're about american life and american media myth and indeed connect all the way back to the triangle trade so understand that i am treading on very big eggshells here um the the supposed myth is that black women themselves have a have an inherent causal sexuality and, and it was known as the myth of the night raven where you know just by dint of being black, they were sexier, and that was going to make them a corrupting influence, and that's why they needed to be controlled. Um, and this then played into how they were represented in media in the same way that black men were represented as being um, uh, threats oh, on that is, front. This is, uh, I've heard this referred as like a Jezebel thing. So. Yeah, yeah. The the Jezebel is another term for it, but I, I, always, I always heard the Jezebel. I always heard the Jezebel relating to anti-Semitism, but then again, I was raised in an environment that was very big on anti-Semitism, so you know. Wait, 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 wait. Is Night Raven in this context like a Jim Crow thing? It might be. I don't know. And by the way, if you happen to be a uh, black academic or uh, a women's study major, or better yet, a black woman studies major, please. Links, please. I would absolutely love to have this explained to me in a way that I don't like. I don't need to recontextualize like fifty years of history that I de- that I wasn't around for. First they steal gorillas, now they're stealing ravens. God damn it, racism! All the cool animals. Yeah, racism. Racism ruins a lot of really cool animals. <laughs> but like back on context, oh, polar bears too. Anyway, <laughs> so so this means that She Hulk. Uh, yeah. No, I'll tell you afterwards. I'll tell you afterwards. Anyway. So the the thing with um, She-Hulk is She-Hulk becomes like this meta-aware character that is still also composed in the characters of uh, uh, in components of other stories because you know she like she was originally a lawyer as a joke the whole the whole comedy was like giant green woman giving lectures in court because she's so smart and the the the, the Hulk is so dumb so even that's a joke mm-hmm. but like that still. becomes the thing where she starts uh, citing. Individual. Now this is weird, right? Okay, this is one of those yeah. instances where like an, a, a funny meta joke like leaks out into the real world and becomes its own thing. So like at a certain point, she like references an issue of a comic as part of a legal proceeding, right? As evidence. Yeah. And then like this is visited later, and it basically boils down to there are real life versions, like there are Marvel Universe versions of like Stanley and Jack Kirby and so and so, and you know Chris Claremont, basically like ambulance chasers who are like shitty journalists who follow around all these superhero events and like scribble down what happened and then sell comics based on that 
like ad- adapted. So it's like a Spider-Man comic in the Marvel universe. And yeah, according to Marvel universe law, that can technically count as a legal document of some kind. It can be used as evidence in court cases. Whereas I don't, yeah. I don't remember if that was the full context of it when it first appeared, you know, where it's like that was someone coming back after the fact and like legitimizing it. You take a meta concept and yeah, the, the, uh, the she Hulk is responsible for probably my favorite wall break moment in comics entirely. And it's in a comic I don't like, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, um, in civil war, there's a panel in civil. It's, it's very subtle. Like you can miss it, but there's a panel in civil war where all the characters are gathered around, uh, a big, um, thing. And it's like a shot from behind and all the characters are in varying stages around it. And there's a, and, she-hulk is one of those characters and she-hulk is in the back and she-hulk she-hulk's butt is deforming like she's resting it against glass there's there's nothing there's nothing there but she has literally got her butt up against the invisible fourth wall (laughs) well hold on maybe maybe that's sue storm like you know helping out yeah sure you can say that Uh, the, the, the point is it's really funny and they don't comment on it. And if you didn't know that was a thing with She-Hulk, you would never notice it. <laughs> or if you're not staring at She-Hulk's butt, I guess. <laughs> and look, if you want to stare at She-Hulk's butt, don't think that that's bad. You know, it's it's fine. You, you know, make sure you're respectful about it. But you, you can do that. It's allowed. I mean, that's one of those angles, um, too, where, like, I think so, the most recent She-Hulk run, it's like, she just became Bruce all over. Like, it's, you know, she's trying not to be angry and yada, yada, yada. And I've heard some Yeah, well, they've got Amadeus, so... Yeah, but he's not, like, he's also not, like... He's not being very meta in that context, is he? But he is, at that age, he was being... At that point, he was being the, like, funny Hulk. Versus her, like, serious yeah. Hulk. And... Yeah. But, again, like, like what is the context there? Because, like, all that other shit, you know, is not, you know, coming into play. She's not, me- she's not meeting people who have aged at different rates. Because the camera wasn't looking at them. And things like yeah. she used to do back in the day. You know, she's just a serious character. But... Well, the thing, because... I, I, I think the thing with She-Hulk is because she's funny and her meta is a thing of humor, as tastes in humor changed, so did the way that they expressed that. And that's okay. They can do that. That's that's a fine thing to do. Yeah. It's not... It's not it's so not, you ready for the next one or you want to keep going? Yeah, no, we can go. I was gonna... We can run with that. Because I did... I did want to talk about the whole age thing, where there's this whole thing where she meets yeah, yeah. these characters who have, like, who are older than they I'll should be. I'll edit that back in, so, yeah, go on. Okay, like, who are older than they should be. Because this is one of those things where, like, it, it like, works within the meta narrative, and, like, kind of, sort of, explains a real odd phenomenon. You know, in comics, time moves weird, and we'll, I, we, we'll do deal with that eventually. But time moves weirdly, and it, like, you know, like, hey, like, certain things are constants because they can afford to be, like, you know, you know, Captain America, you know, went asleep for a period of time that, you know, changes as, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, he, 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 he was frozen after this, you know, at the end of the Second World War and he woke up like 10 years ago. And that, that time frame can yeah. change forever, but other things can't, you know, Magneto is wedded to the Holocaust. So shit has to happen. And she hopes like, and some characters have been 17 for 17 years and, who, how old is Spider-Man actually? And all that shit. How old's Bruce? Yeah. And so, She-Hulk meets these characters who she met when she was young. And they're like 70. And she's like, well, hold on. What the fuck? And it's like, well, we stopped being main characters. So the camera stopped looking at us. 
so time moved on, you know? And, like, the comics yeah. stopped looking at us, so time moved on. And that's what, and, like, yeah. And, I mean, like, in, in, in Marvel, it gets especially hecked up because in, in, um, sorry, but in, in Marvel especially, back in the 1970s, Marvel writers were parts of Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, but, like, so, like, is Stan Lee still 40? Like, just, or is he dead? Because, <laughs> because the com- he stopped peer- appearing in comics. So it's like, comics, Stan Lee, is he dead? Because uh, that's apparently how it works, according to She-Hulk. Like, if you stop being a main character, your time moves on for you. And yeah, and and you know, now of course we get the. This is a meta question: like, is she imposing a rule on the universe, or is she reflecting a thing that happens? And that's you know that's interesting. Oh yeah, but like, like okay, like the Runaways got their book, and the thing is, all those characters have been appearing intermittently, so we could say whatever they're still you know now they're still existing in the now. But <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I just saw something and it fucked me up. So. Sorry. Is it by any chance the panel of, of She-Hulk's butt I just sent you? No, I saw that already. It's uh, that thing. <laughs> right. I'll show you later. Anyway, so, like, that's 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 She-Hulk. She-Hulk has a very sly way of being meta. It, it's very explicit. It's very open and open and funny. And it's designed to be kind of easygoing. Um, so, on the note of another character who's who's being funny uh, is... Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to get me to, you're not going to get a click me you are not going to trick me into clicking on anything to do with the Venom movie today Satan um, I, I'm going to assume that this is he's going to break out and sing like Hamilton songs or possibly there's some uh, 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 Killmonger reference in amongst all that anyway so the the thing is uh, and, and, and you know obviously I'll edit this out in the edit you know there's no way that the listener needs to hear this, uh, but it's going to stay in anyway because we're being super duper meta. Yeah, anyway, this works, folks. Um, yeah, this is this this is how the sausage gets made, especially at like midnight. Anyway, and you know who so looks like sausage? The- Deadpool. Segway. Well, no, yeah, but we had a list, and the list said the next number was Squirrel Girl. Now they're going to know when Have you go read back and edit the list. I. Read, Squirrel Girl shows up with other stuff I read. Like, she showed up in Hellcat and, um, She-Hulk and things like that. But actually, I have not, I have not read a cool. bunch of the show Squirrel Girl solo. I haven't read Squirrel Girl. <laughs> uh, but the, the famously meta-aware nature of the character and the way that she regularly punches through the fourth wall, not herself directly, but other characters do mm-hmm. on her behalf, uh, you know, the whole, the, the Squirrel Girl comics these days are written by a guy called Ryan North, who you might remember if you're a web comics nerd as the writer of, uh, Quants or Dinosaur Comics. Where really? the basic thing was just, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. So if you, if you don't know Dinosaur Comics, Dinosaur Comics is a, uh, uh, it's basically a single comic with different text every single day to tell different stories and make different jokes. And it sometimes plays with time travel and themes of predeterminacy and extremely obscure theater jokes. And he's kept it going for years. It is an astoundingly deep well of content if you want to go looking for it. It's very funny, but it also involves a lot of very conscious awareness of like the very physical structure of the comic book panel. Like sometimes, sometimes the comic is broken up into five different stories just because they're all one or two panels long. Anyway, it's, it's a really, really clever, um, kind of thing and it's very meta aware. And Ryan North, when he transitioned to telling normal comic stories, 
decided to take that meta-awareness with him, and that's why we have, amongst other things, the meme of Squirrel Girl Beat Thanos. I think that's older than Ryan North, man. It's older, it's older than Ryan North, but he made it a thing, and he got into fights over it, and he made sure that it was put forward. I can't remember, like, that's a, like a, that's a, like a football that used to get tossed back and forth, and I remember, like, at some point, like, the Watcher shows up, like, after she beats yes. someone- like, like, after the 15th time she beats Thanos, like, the Watcher shows up. He says, I, the Watcher, can say for sure that that was not a clone and not a trick, and you actually defeated Lord Thanos. Amazing! That whole thing of, like, characters who are being, like, used in meta ways without necessarily being... Like, that's that right up at that line where they are looking at the camera and they're talking to the viewer, but they don't say, now turn the page! They're just like, you know, like, like that whole thing with the, the Watcher. And the Watcher shows up yeah. and verifies your shit. Like, that's a character showing up and looking at you and saying something, but, like, not actually, right? Yeah. It's like a plausible deniability fourth wall break. Yeah. But th- yeah, and, and that's- so that's where Squirrel Girl lives. Squirrel Girl herself, her story doesn't need to get meta, but if you are paying attention on the meta level, it's got more stuff there, and it's funny stuff. Um, particularly because a lot of the jokes of- that meta-ness are jokes at the expense of excessively meta stuff. Like, mm-hmm. the fact that Squirrel Girl beat Thanos is meaningless, because it's a one-panel joke. It doesn't have any application, really, and Thanos doesn't usually react to anything that relates to it. It's effectively a self-contained dead end. But the kind of people who care about racking up lists of who defeated who and who could beat who in a fight now have this giant glaring question mark in the middle of their charts going, well, how do we explain away the fact that Squirrel Girl beat Thanos? And it wasn't a dream, and it wasn't fake. It's absolutely something that we have to care about if we're going to take things too seriously. And that's who that joke really is about. The people who are adamant on taking it too seriously. Oh yeah, it's like Dead- it's, uh, it's like Lobo says with the Bite Me fanboy, and he like, it, yeah, that's a weird thing where like a meta narrative like becomes serious, like because again, like Lobo originally was just like a non like a generic like tough guy. One point five Lobo. <laughs> it's like tough guy sort of character, and then like the you know the writers decided to take him in an extremely meta way, and like everything he did was supposed to be a joke, but like. I remember discussing this with, like, fucking Warhammer and Judge Dredd and Punisher, where it's like, if you start clapping at the joke instead of laughing, then you have a problem. And everybody was clapping at the joke that Lobo was. And so that became who he yeah. was, you know? Yeah. And, and, and it in Lobo's case, it felt very antagonistic. Like, I feel that there was a certain degree to which, even though the writers of Lobo didn't, the character of Lobo disdained the people who liked Lobo. Oh, for sure. Like, I mean... I mean, also that it's like, hey, is a generally disdainful character. Like, he hates you no matter who you are. But, like, yeah. He's a I, South Park Republican. Oh, God. <laughs> the, the, the darkest shade cast upon oh, Lobo. Oh, man. Oh, like, oh, ugh, what? Oh, God, that hurts. I like Lobo. <laughs> it makes sense, though. And he is very white. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> I'm mostly just mad about you being right. <laughs> anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've committed a sin this day. Let's just skip this conversation entirely now. I want to go home. Yeah, oh, okay. Fuck, so, so, 
<laughs> so number two in our list. <laughs> uh, n- number two in our list was going to be um, Deadpool. Yeah. Who is basically a ripoff of Lobo, in a way. Oh, no, he's... Originally, he was a ripoff. You know what? He's exactly like Lobo. Because he started off... Well, he started off as a ripoff of the type of character during his day. You know, he was a ripoff of Deathstroke. I remember hearing yep. that Rob Liefeld actually, like, sent pictures of Death Deadpool to uh, uh, Wolfman and Perez, or one of the two of them. Like, while they were writing Teen Titans and having Deathstroke... He's like, hey, look at this thing we did. I was like, that, why, why did you show that to us? We don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. But, like, that's all he what, was. What he, makes it even worse is in the context of, of the, the Teen Titans story arc in question. Like, at this point, Rob Liefeld was churning out characters like a mill. So him going, hey, guys, check out this thing I made that I think is cool that I want to show off. It doesn't matter what he shows you. You've seen it before. Uh, there's some video of him and Stan Lee. Like, he's like... Yeah. I'm making a character. And he just makes cable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again. So he's an angry cyborg who's angry because he's a cyborg. Yeah, and there's the war against man and machine inside him. How does that differentiate him from another of your characters? Like, say, Cable. Well, uh, he's a cyborg. <laughs> like Stanley just sitting there very gently making fun of him the whole way. Yeah, but like, fucking... Yeah, like, like, he was just another of a type of character that was popular at that time. And then, and then people started writing him funny. And it, like, it starts with him just like, saying like, two or three jokes, like, in his like, early appearances, in like, X-Force, I believe it was. And, and, you know, that took off. Took off so fucking hard. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> this is for you. The- because you have more, like, actual experience with Deadpool than I do. Like, you've read more, yeah. you've, de- you've read Deadpool comics. I, don't. I I in fact of, of all the comics of all the comics I own that are like I keep and have archived and haven't sold or given away um the core of the actual physical paper not trade comics I own are the second major second and third major Deadpool plot arcs from his first comic uh and I really liked them and I didn't come at it with this knowledge of like Deadpool was this character who showed up in a bunch of other comics first I literally just jumped in and I didn't even know how to read comic numbers at that point. So I, I had to like read the comics themselves and go, okay, these ones have to happen before this and after this and whatnot. Um, and I found them an absolute riot, particularly because they were built around that meta humor. But at the same time, the character they painted in those stories was incredibly dark, like deeply disturbed as well as really funny. And like the story itself was building around these jokes. And then you realize that like, I think it was six or seven comics into reading this that, like, he actually does make these jokes out loud to the people around him. And that's, and that means that everyone thinks he's funny, but he's really, really messed up because he can see the fabric of his universe and he knows there's something wrong with it. And that, that was like a really interesting way to handle this comedy character. And uh... anyway, Deadpool sucks now. <laughs> I don't know. Does it? Well, like, what's the current? Like, the movie seemed like the first movie was pretty good, and yeah, know. okay. The mo- the movie was pretty good because it told a it told a small self contained story, and it didn't actually draw on much of the comics. Is it though? Okay, so like none of like at all at all none of that. Okay, so at least by the comics as I understand them, right? The woman that he's obsessed with 
in the comics who he thinks is his wife and starts seeing visions of everywhere around him isn't his wife and his name isn't wade wilson and wade wilson was never a mercenary so like spoilers for a 25 year old comic but the second major arc of deadpool was the t-ray arc where he was being pursued by a very weird um extremely rob liefeld kind of villain like it he looked like something out of Battle Chasers drawn by Rob Liefeld. So he was albino, he had glowing green eyes, he used magical powers by drawing kanji in the air, and they were not real kanji. Um, He's got giant, and, no mad feet and hands. <laughs> yeah, 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 enormous shoulder pads, pouches all over. Like, you know, T-Ray he, was... He does T-Ray look, was really... Hmm? He looks like Joe Mad Lobo. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. I could see the comparison. Uh, T-Ray, T-Ray was a really silly looking joke villain, and then the story they told with him was really, like, he mostly showed up to be menacing and like, oh, you know, Deadpool's gotten away this time, and kind of stuff. And then it turns out that, in fact, he's, he was Wade Wilson. He was the real Wade Wilson. And what happened is that the guy who thought he was Wade Wilson was just some dude who fell in a river, was rescued by Wade Wilson and his wife in their log cabin, and he got so jealous of well, their life. Well, hold on, hold on. Is, he, is this, this, is, this is Wolverine's backstory. That too. Is that they the, make a point is that of the that. bit? Oh, okay. They make a point of that. That um, he's not even... like th- There is actually the line, you're not even an original ripoff. <laughs> and T-Ray is... And in the context of the story, T-Ray is talking about that of Deadpool, because Deadpool is to him a ripoff of himself of wade wilson because after he left wade wilson for dead wade wilson went out and became t-ray and t-ray is much more impressive and much more scary and much more powerful than deadpool so he's like even the thing you thought you could be wade wilson as a villain you're not even that good at like i actually have the life you thought you had and i'm so much better than you are Mm. um and 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 so that uh that that was like the second major deadpool arc um there was also an, uh, another arc, and I'm not sure about the order of this, where he wound up getting signed up with a sort of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, subgroup who were preparing for the coming of, literally, the Space Baby. And the Space Baby would need a champion of order and a champion of chaos, and if it won, it would it would declare that everything in the world was good and, and would fix everything. And it turns out that its idea of fixing everything was complete totalitarian mental slavery. Um, and the champions that got chosen were Captain America and Deadpool. And in the end, De- Deadpool um, De- Deadpool couldn't beat Captain America in a fight. So he said, all right, we need to sort this thing out as champions. So we need to decide on some rules. It's like, all right, fine. I can beat you at anything because I'm Captain America and you are Deadpool. Uh, what are your, what, what, what kind of game do you want to play that will determine who gets to, if, if we decide to go with order Does or Does he chaos? play Rochambeau? Is that he plays Rochambeau. Oh, God. Because he's also a South Park Republican. Um... <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> look i call it the way i see it man oh, um the and, and that's it that's 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 the whole thing like deadpool is always made up of these jokes and in, in in one of them in the second arc i described he's shown at the start of that comic walking dra- dragging a body bag on a cart through the Brea tar pits and it has written on it everything that made this comic work and then he chucks it in the Librea tar pits and walks away. And that's part of the story. That's not like a cute outtake comic. Because hey. that's them saying, hey, we're done with that plot. Now we're going to do something totally different and with a whole different writing team. 
Yeah, because that is is that around the time that Chris Priest jumps on? I think so. Yeah, is that the the one like like gag I remember from Chris Priest is like he goes to hell or goes to heaven at some point or this limbo and he like walks in a room and it's every black guy Chris Priest has ever written and they all look exactly the same because he only draws one guy. (laughs) Yeah, they're all bald guys with goatees and like (laughs) yeah. There's a, there's, the, and like, th- during this run, we also have some like, really genuinely funny, interesting, meta-aware commentary on other heroes. Um, there's a story where he winds up tangling with Loki, and becomes Deadthor. <laughs> uh, and Deadthor is one of the funniest goddamn comics. <laughs> there's this thing about like, we were talking about like, the, like the sort of maliciousness, like there's different angles of like, fourth wall breaking that you get sometimes. Yeah. Like, you get, like, the kind of fun stuff where it's like, you know, She-Hulk is just fun, and it's like, yeah, but we're making jokes at expense of like, the medium, and then you have these jokes that are like, at expense of the fans, and yeah, like, who are you riffing and on, And sometimes right? really mean-spirited jokes, and mm-hmm. and sometimes incredibly lighthearted jokes. Um, a lot of the jokes in the second plot are jokes about the structure of the character of Deadpool as a stereotype. Mm-hmm. And in the third arc, there were a whole bunch of jokes about the way comics tell stories at all. Um, there's, there's a fight between, um, Deadpool and, uh, Wolverine. Mm-hmm. And, um, if you, if you ever want to see this comic, it's got Dr. Bong on the cover. And the cover also says, and to spike some sales, here's Wolverine. <laughs> like, it is, it is blatant. And the whole point of that comic is, hey, we tend to have, like, these really long monologues where we talk about our feelings and who we really are when we have fights. So I've got to find someone who I can have a really long fight with, and that will let me work out my issues, and I'll be able to work out what's going on. <laughs> so you needed to find someone who has a healing factor. <laughs> Guys, that's And the, then the first the, half of the comic he's is- like, harassing him and, and j- Jubilee yeah, is yeah. out. He's like, you know, stab yeah, me, yeah. stab me! He's like, fuck off. yeah. Yeah, and, and, he, eventu- like, and eventually Jubilee. he suck. Yeah, yeah, he sucker punches. I want to say he sucker punches Kitty Pride. I think mm. it was Kitty Pride, but <laughs> it might have been Jubilee. And like Jubilee makes fun of him as he's trying to start a fight with Wolverine, and he says, "Um, he makes a Street Fighter joke. He's like, do you know what down forward fierce is?" And she's like, "What?" And he, then he just like shot a you kin sir, mm-hmm. and that's when Wolverine decides to start cutting sick on him. And like you know, eh, but still, that's that's a funny gag in the context. That's a good softball gag, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> beating women. Anyway, um. But yeah, like, and then there's, I guess, <coughs> we could look at kind of like the meta-ness of, this is the thing, right? The big meta thing about the next one, like Animal yep. Man, feels like yep. a meta joke at the writer's expense, you know? Like, I'm not even sure it's a joke. But it's a meta commentary at the writer's expense. Like, wow, I, I, you know, I'm terrible. Look at all these things I put you through, you know, sort of conversation. Yeah. Because it, which is which is a uh, uh, very much a thing depressed writers do if you find yourself drawn to that kind of storytelling. So uh, how about how about you explain what the hell is going on here? Because I just did deep on on Deadpool, and the fact is, my Animal Man is really weak aside from Coyote Gospel. Oof. See, you and me are going to have some similar things to go through because I actually haven't <laughs> read the full Animal Man, but I know this. Oh, bit. so I'm I'm the expert here. <laughs> I know this bit because, and I and I like. Uh, Here's the other thing, right? Because, like, this is another one of those things that ended up, or at least it feels like it got ended up being folded into, like, real continuity. Because, like, at the end of the Grant Morrison run of Ant-Man, like, at the end, he meets Grant Morrison. I do have some commentary about that, though. That's interesting. Um, He meets Grant Morrison, 
He's like, he, he, in not so many words, says, hey, you're about to be canceled. And, you know, or like your book is ending. I don't know if it's canceled or he walked off of it, but, you know, and he basically talked about- Not here renewed was the line I heard. Right. And he talked about, you know, oh, we, we put you through these sufferings and it's just for entertainment. It's all, it's all like very cabin in the woods, you know? We just, we do all this shit to you for all the, you know, for entertainment. It's because we don't know what to do with ourselves and all yada yada. And, you know, he asked why, and he's like, I don't even really know. That's just how it is. And sort of where it ends, I guess. But then two, and this is like, a, again, like the context in the greater narrative. There are two other things that happen later down the line, which are weird and hilarious. The first thing is hilarious. Um, Grant Morrison shows up in um, Suicide Squad as a villain. Yep. Called the writer. Yep. And he basically just like writes what's about to happen as like, I guess, sort of like either prediction or as control. And he basically just writes his own death and then is killed in a big fight. That's hilarious. Yeah, but why? Why? Why did he? Why did he write his own death? Do you remember why? I, I forget because he couldn't. He didn't know how to end it. He, like he got trapped. He got writer's block. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He got writer's block and said, "I might have to delay this for a few months." Which was that? What <laughs> happened? Was he like missing his deadlines and they got not renewed? Yes. <laughs> yes. So he gets so he gets icked in the jungle. That's funny as hell. And then this way, way like almost twenty years later, this thing happens in New Fifty Two. Uh, in 52, not in 52, where basically Animal Man is like trapped in space and dies. And he, you know, he looks at us and he says, no, I have so much more. And then he's there and there's like these aliens there and they look like the aliens who like gave him his powers. And they basically act as the writers and say, well, we can't necessarily have you die right now. There's a lot more plans we have for you, you know, a lot more issues to go. And then they just like fudge things so that he gains powers of some space creature that is on the very edge of his existence. So, like, you could easily write that off as, you know, him, like, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, like a hallucination right before death. And, you know, not actually happening. But it also, like, implies that maybe Grant Morrison, when he met him, was just one of those aliens, you know? Like, that, like, yeah. he, that's an easy out if you want to, which also implies that Grant Morrison in the Suicide Squad was just an alien, one of those aliens. Though, to be fair, that also has the secondary effect implying that in real life, Grant Morrison is just an alien. And that- Isn't untrue? That makes some sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, if you're going to accuse any comic book writer- Well, Garth Ennis first, but anyway. <laughs> no, no, Garth Ennis- <laughs> Let's hope he's not aliens, because he's telling them up there some terrible stuff about us. Yep. <laughs> It's deeply, yes, the whole, the whole planet is incredibly depressing, just so you know. That was, that was, that was definitely not Garth Ennis's voice. I can't do his accent, alright? Leave me alone. <laughs> but no, yeah, like, that whole fucking thing is like, and that's really what, like, when you, when you're getting into like meta commentary and meta narratives, it's like, who are you talking to and what do you say? And I, and. Yeah. Cause that's even more of a statement than like any other, like, any kind of, like, even a fucking moment where a character just sits there and, like, explains their motivations or their politics is less of a statement in many ways because it's not, like, you're clearly, like, it's a, it's like a, a, a speech, it's like a tract, but, like, there are levels in between. The minute you break down the wall, no, now it's just a conversation between me and you. And so what is being said, and, you know? And you can't really unbreak the wall, <laughs> right? Once... You can ignore Once that you it's do broken. That, you've you just, really damaged something. You just live with and, that howl in your house forever. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, 
We just let the deer wander in. And I mean, it gets... I mean, you know, comic books, especially Western comic books, have this, like, long-standing fourth-wall-breaking nature because, like, hostess fruit pie ads, for crying out loud, they're, <laughs> like, well, I mean, they clearly can't accept all parts of the comic as all existing because otherwise you have hostess fruit pies and hostess fruit pies exist in all comic book universes and that's also weird too. Yeah, but then, you know, She-Hulk runs right over that ad, so that exists. Like, she- yeah, that, that's a thing that, that, that is a diegetic text. Uh, by the way, Coyote Gospel is uh, is is the Animal Man story that kind of indicated that everything's going a bit weird in the Animal Man narrative. Like this is just before Gar- Grant Morrison shows up. And, is it really uh, the, the? I thought he ran the whole thing. I didn't basic, realize he picked it up from somebody. Yeah, yeah. Um, like no, I, I think he wrote this, but he he picked up Animal Man from another author. And that's when Animal Man got, like, you know, actively vegetarian and, and got into fights with people over animal rights and stuff. Like, he was a, he was a super political character. Um, but Coyote Gospel is basically, a it's a comic about Wiley Coyote as Sisyphus in Greek myth. Yeah, that works. And Jesus. Not so much. Like, he made a deal. That everyone in his universe who are all lighthearted and fluffy and, and, you know, very, very tragedy light despite all the things that happened to them would, would never have to suffer. He would take all the suffering of his entire world on. And then that got him dumped into the Marvel universe as, as the place of his purgatory. Alright. Now, did you, right. just, now, did you just make a uh, company error there or is it like a meta narrative about Marvel? No, products? no, no. It says it's, co- Co- company error. Com- okay. DC. See, this yeah. thing. In this conversation, when, like, people make little mistakes, you can't be sure they're making a mistake or, like... Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. And, and, and honestly, with, with, with Grant Morrison, this is about as weird as he would do. Like, he would absolutely do that if he could get away with it. Um, but the idea of, um, the, the idea at the core of it is that it paints Wiley Coyote as this eternally suffering martyr in the name of protecting, um, Looney Tunes. And the hell of a Looney Tunes character would be to have the realistic deaths that you get in a, uh, in a, you know, superhero comic book. The idea that existing in a superhero comic book is itself a kind of torture. Yeah, I mean, it's so, so <laughs> subtle. It's so depressing. No, I mean, that's that whole thing of, like, you know, it never ends. And, oh, God. Oh, God. Like, you know, all right. I I honestly don't care about, like, I have weird, like, complicated feelings around the, Nate, like, how, like, enshrined Watchmen has become. And, but. Yep. But at the same time, like, at this point, I feel like the only thing to do is to trash it to make it, un- like, to, 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 to chip that away. Is That's the only real solution anymore. And. You know, the idea of it never ends, Adrian. And, well, here he is. It's not ending. He's in DC. So mm. it's never gonna end now. <laughs> yep. And, and like, for what it's worth, um, I think that Watchmen is one of those rare comic books that's about as good as it thinks it is. It's everyone else who gets it wrong. It's alright. It's alright. I, I, I thought it was, I, I've, I've cooled over it over time. You know? Yeah. So, so one of the things, to, and here's a meta narrative. One of the things about Watchmen is that it was always, um, retaliatory. It wasn't meant to be definitory. It wasn't meant to be like, here is the new way to tell stories. This was basically, uh, Alan Moore picking up Steve Ditko's characters and saying, 
fuck you, Steve. This is the world you would create. This is what your stories mean for a world. And so that mean-spirited, grungy, no-magic, cruel, sad, depressing world of of um of Watchmen is really Alan Moore, who, let's face it, is a pot-smoking beard hippie, even though he's a grump. Uh, that you know that was him taking an objectivist's work and smooshing it up against his face and saying, "Look at it, Peter. Sorry, look at it, Steve. Look at it." taste it and 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 as a as a anti-objectivist piece it's pretty fucking good it certainly makes mr a look stupid well no i mean <laughs> well you say that but then we look at like what the question thinks about rorschach <laughs> yeah and well this is a fun loop so do, do you want to explain this one all right so uh uh steve did go like everybody in comics at the time would bounce around to different you know companies and would try to self-publish some things, including like four or five different versions of this same idea of like a early thirties mystery man style character who would basically attack people and like preach at them about objectivism within like the two most notable Literally. ones. Like, like he was hold- not exaggerating. He is not joking. Actually preach at them about objectivism, about and- actual objectivism. <laughs> With it, like this really thin like context of an, a superhero crime taking place, and so it the two was most barely a superhero. Like I mean, in the sense that like there would be a crime, he would be solving it, and somehow this would be solved by him yelling at people. Uh, the two yeah. most notable were usually a person who you, a sensible human, would recognize in the context as being like a victim. <laughs> the two most notable were Mister A, who was like the prototype and the question who lots of people know from the justice league cartoon uh yeah he did this and, for this and the question got more fleshing out yeah well not under steve ditko which is the point not under ditko no so like that the company he created these characters for was bought by dc like a lot of companies were you know eaten by dc and harvey uh i want to say it was harvey and charleston charleston was a bunch of all the other characters but harvey was definitely ditko's thing and so DC yeah. gets the question. Neil Adams, who uh, was doing a lot of yoga and a lot of drugs at the time, decides <laughs> not Neil Adams. Excuse me, Denny O'Neill. Denny O'Neill and you know coincidentally Dennis Cohen. They they take that question and they beat him half to death and shoot him in the head and like wake him up as like as a sort of Eastern philosopher, like you know this big like Buddhist Zen philosophy guy. And this is the guy yeah. they have in like the eighties and like maybe early nineties. This is the question that gets written. And this is mostly the question that anybody who likes comics and likes the question, that's who they want. This question is going overseas one day. Uh, he's going across country on a plane and he gets, uh, Oh, I've got this interesting new book by this, you know, young, cool guy, Alan Moore. And wow, this Rorschach guy is super interesting. This is actually happening in page. And. <laughs> He finds, like, a collection of villains. Like, not even villains, just, like, street thugs. Like, once he gets where he's going, he says, hmm, I could do some question stuff, but what would Rorschach do? And so he, you know, he jumps on him, he's growling and being all tough, and he gets his fucking shit kicked in. <laughs> it's, it's one panel later. You don't even see the fight. It's just the next panel is the question on the ground with his head on the floor, with a gun pushed to his temple, and a goon saying, any last words? Rorschach sucks. And it's like... <laughs> <laughs> to like to steal it all off, he gets saved by the Green Arrow like immediately after that, and they have like a you know crossover issue. But yeah, <laughs> that's just... and that was a great moment. 
but then this like loops back into itself because then like if you're a person who doesn't read comics but like likes the question you're probably getting him from the justice league cartoon in which he was rorschach like at one point he even gives the speech a is a as he's about to murder lex luthor because yeah like according to him like the objective reality is like luthor is bad and all you know blah blah blah, blah. point is He's just doing Russia. He is just, he's a conspiracy theorist. He's the weird one. He goes through all the other Justice League members trash and like has all these and, weird. Things. And the story does make a point of even if he's your friend, even if he is someone you like, he's still not a good guy. Yeah, he's weird. Well, no, they, they sort of like, he's not as bad as Russia. I mean, he's definitely yeah. about to kill. His thing is, he says, I'm going to kill Lex Luthor. Because I'm fucking the I'm fucking Rorschach. Nobody likes me. If I kill y'all, I kill you to like prevent this weird time loop situation. The Justice League will be fine. They'll just say, "Yeah, we're sorry that crazy asshole of ours killed that crazy asshole nobody likes, who's about to be president." Like I can take the hit. I am yeah the monster you need. I'm Peter Gamby. You know, and shoot this guy. <laughs> Side note: I fucking love what they're doing with Gamby in the. <laughs> Sorry, you, in the series. you haven't seen you haven't seen the uh, season finale. You're gonna there's a great moment. You're gonna I'm, love that. I'm one ep down. Uh, yeah, anyway, I, <laughs> I I'm really I'm really really glad you told me about this series. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, the, the the thing the other thing is there is a there is a version of the question, and I just want to be a little a little hipster here, but I can afford to be because the reason I read these comics is you sent them to me. Um, <laughs> There was a brief window of time where there was a sort of reconciliation between the Ditko question and the later question that wasn't Rorschach. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things with the question originally was that the question literally shocked people into obeying him by his unwavering moral character. It was the most writer fantasy in the world that I will monologue at people hard enough to change the path of bullets. Not, not, not a superpower. I don't have a magic, I don't have magic words. I'm just that driven and the power of my will will overcome people. And that was such a shitty character because it meant that any situation he got in, like, that's who's, it. He's going to win because. Who's your, who's your, who's your, who's your buddy? Zanan? Basically that. Yeah. Fucking Zanan. Fucking. <laughs> sorry. That, that's a, that's a Christian fundamentalist comic book. Uh, that's bad. It's that's the same really, bit though. It's really the same bad. bit though. <laughs> Yeah, it's the exact same bit. It's the I preach at people until they accept that I'm right and the healing power of Christ compels them. But in this case, it's the healing power of objectivism, which, as we all know, is basically just as fascist as Christianity. Yeah. Anyway, the the thing is there's this period of harmonization where the question was still this super dedicated, super hardcore, willful journalist hiding his face, working 16 to 20 hour days, desperately trying to solve puzzles. And he was getting in these situations where people would be shocked by his drive. But the thing is, they wouldn't be like, oh no, you've convinced me with the force of your will. It was, oh God, this guy's not going to stop. This guy's, this guy's damaged. <laughs> uh, and I remember that there was one plot where uh, a dude was going to release like um super happy gas, basically. Like, mind control gas that made everyone happy and slaves. And a little bit of it got into the question. And it didn't work because he couldn't conceive of himself as happy. Oh, man. And, like, 
the whole the whole comic he's got he's got his partner who's also getting affected by this gas um slowly fighting it off and developing an antitoxin and is like okay why didn't it work on you and like maybe it did maybe maybe this is how i'm happy maybe being miserable is what i view as being happy this is this is what and I'm that's just... <laughs> what that's I'm an ambiguity for. that the original didn't have and it was a really good use of of uh of harmonizing together that hardline objectivist with a very different psychological view on the character so i mean i, li- I liked the question in um in in those comics again that you sent me so it's your yeah. fault <laughs> but no like Again, that like that's a conversation that Denny O'Neill wanted to have, honestly, with himself. I think because like if you go back and listen to him talk about his life and the things he's been to, I said he was doing a lot of like yoga and and tai chi. He apparently teaches tai chi these days, um, and cool. and a lot of drugs. And he would later say, "Yeah, the drugs were kind of Lots. a problem. Like yep. the drugs were an issue." And you could kind of see that conversation being had with. Denny O'Neill, I think, was having that conversation with himself, and maybe with the industry, but it wasn't that meta at the time, right? It wasn't... Yeah. It was, in some ways, kind of a tract, but it wasn't the same as, you know, She-Hope having a conversation with an old lady about how, you know, the, the, the industry forgets characters and works, you know? The thing I think that's most interesting on a meta level about that question is... That, that question about the question is that the question's story doesn't think it has an answer. Like, Dwyer, not Dwyer, Dan- Denny. Denny O'Neill. There's two Dennises working on this book, so it's confusing. Yeah, okay. So O'Neill, like, he, if you read this comic, it very much feels like he doesn't know what the answer is. He isn't sure. So he is talking to you very directly through the very blunt metaphors of the storytelling. But at the same time, he's sitting there with his arms up going, is this, is this how it goes? I don't know. Help. I mean, and it was a really interesting take. I mean, you look at the, like, and it's still, it's, <laughs> we're clearly like going somewhere else with this, but like, when you look at the ultimate, like, resolution of that book, it's like deciding to stop asking the question. He said, you know what? Let's just fuck off. <laughs> like, him, yeah. and a girl, him and a girl just leave. They just say, we're done with this. And that, again, when you look at, like, What's the overarching narrative of superhero story? It's a story that hypothetically doesn't have an end when it's first created. It has to get an end. It has to develop to a place where it can have an end in the future, right? Like, you know, Batman fights crime is his story, and that story never ends. But once Batman has been Batman long enough, then, like, the end of his story is finally defeating villains who have been showing up all this time, right? Or choosing not to. Like, that's the end. But the, like abstract nature of fights badness like fucking power rangers right or sentai uh ranger rider the end of that story is that one bad guy that evil organization is gone that's a story that starts out with an end in mind yeah and, like uh, that's why get- well, most most comics kind of operate around what uh douglas adams referred to as an open-ended ultimatum <laughs> go on well, the the term was used in reference to declaring war on a country that didn't exist yet. Ah. I'm just figuring if it ever does, we'll have it. We'll have the the precedent. <laughs> we'll have them locked down. Like that's that's kind of how a lot of comics go. They they all know where they can go when they pull the trigger, but they don't ever intend to. So it's just open ended. Yeah. <laughs> and on a, on a meta narrative note with Batman, how old is Dick Grayson? How old is Damian Wayne? And how old is 
Bruce Wayne. Yeah. How old is Tim Drake? What? We don't talk about him anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Jason Todd at least died. That's his excuse. And again, like, uh, like. And Jason Todd's an example of a meta character because he died because of a fucking phone pole. I keep thinking, like, there has to be someone had to have written, like, something where he, you know, he finds that one voter. You know, sort of couched in metaphor, but there's got to be something. <laughs> I cannot believe that that hasn't been written in anything. I. It's probably I, in I some mean, issue of the. I want to know if there are. I want to know if there are phone poll truthers. <laughs> I want to know if there are people who don't think that the phone poll results were actually checked. Oh, I know for a and fact. Said, oh, yeah, we did the thing we wanted to do anyway, and it was your decision. <laughs> there's, there's debate on that, where if, like, whether it was a landslide, or it was a win by one vote, or what it was. It, like, I've, I've heard yeah. debate on that issue. <laughs> yeah. Like, it doesn't even matter anymore. The, the, back, so fucking. Yeah. And, you know, at, at this point, Jason Todd as the Red Hood is capable of sneaking around and stealthing past Supergirl. So, you know, he didn't let death slow him down. <laughs> By the way, if you ever, if you're ever at work and you want to just like really regret your life choices and things you care about, go check out the subreddit about who would win because it's essentially a lot of conversations about Batman by people who care more about Batman than you care about anything. Oh, I mean, we're going to have that episode one of these days. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it'll be great fun. I'll break out the Runma one half power charts. Oh, God. Oh, man. Yo, oh, oh, internet, uh, since you're here, I showed him that one video about Superman versus Goku, and he got so mad! (laughs) Within, like, the first two minutes, and it's like, no, I refuse! I think I got seven minutes into death battle, Superman versus Goku, and I just tapped out. Uh, This guy, I don't even care, I'm just rolling with it, but he's so mad! (laughs) Uh, and, and for what it's worth, the context there is that Okay, so before there was Twitter, if you wanted to vomit onto the internet, you needed to use a thing called Usenet. And and Usenet was quite old and quite, like, empty by the time I started using it when I was a kid. Uh, but there was this, uh, there was a Dragon Ball um, uh, subgroup, uh, Usenet group, uh, which was there when Dragon Ball was just getting translated. And so there were all these old fans in there who were like, yes, we have been reading the, ta- we have been reading the translated Tankubons. And, uh, what's with all these youths and these children who like this cartoon? And uh, it's being censored in strange ways. So there was like a whole, like, there was like a whole cultural moment there. I just hit my mic. Whoops. Um, so that's how strong and, he feels about this, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, being a smug teenager, got involved in these conversations about how strong Goku is because I thought, like, surely you can read the text and you can either find no definitive proof, in which case you're done and you can just kill the whole argument, or there is something falsifiable and provable in the story. Like, one way or the other, you've got to be able to do this. And so I did. And that involved a lot of math that I wasn't very good at. And I was always trying to find just like, what's the lowest possible value I can get? Like, what's the most reasonable value I could get? He did the math, yeah. Because, because the creator of this damn series actually put numbers on this stuff. Yeah, but like, the stupid numbers are the fake. <laughs> and yeah, and, and nowadays, like the, the quote unquote conventional wisdom is, oh no, he put them in to make fun of how silly they were. It's like, no, he fucking didn't. I was there. I was there when they were releasing the manga. He he thought they were cool. 
He said he thought they were cool. That's why he released extra numbers in special guides and you could buy them. Like, <laughs> this absolutely was a thing he took seriously. It's just, they're also incredibly dumb. <laughs> and so, when you have all those numbers, like, the absolute lowest values I was able to possibly get at the very end of the story, involving, like, the massive planets that got blown up. And, like, the potential life population of the universe. All these values had to be kind of calculated. And I was getting very, very low numbers for all of this nonsense. And still, I was getting values in the terms of scientific notation times the speed of light for movement. <laughs> like, with the most conservative <sighs> estimates I could ever find. And I'm like a shitty teenage kid. And as I got older, I mostly looked at the math of that and went, Oh, wow, that's just because this series is really dumb. But as a point of argument, I also cared about this in comics, but I was just like, just because of it, and it is bad writing, because of bad writing and bad math, Dragon Ball Z is not in the same league as anything else. It's not playing the same sport. It's not on the same planet. But I know that that's because even the lowest possible estimates I could manage for the math are dumb. Anyway, so I open Death Battle and it says, well, we're going to ignore all this stuff. I'm like, why? <laughs> I did all this work. I sent it to you. I you said I was good. <laughs> I, I put that work on the internet years ago. You should know about this. You should do your fucking research. <laughs> there were there were dozens of subscribers to that use group. <laughs> and and at the same time, it like the actual premise of the death battle was we're going to ignore whole chunks of this because otherwise the fight would be boring. And then we're going to make the fight really boring in favor of one side. It's like, well, what the fuck are you doing then? <laughs> and so that really annoyed me. And that's a little bit of meta information. It's beautiful. <laughs> Dragon Ball is so dumb, though. Oh, man. Like, there, there's a dude in the in the um thing who has a power level of 139. And, like, the power levels, when they start getting estimated the very first time, are, like, a 1,000. And, like, you know, 2,000 and eventually 9,000 and 15,000. So, like, we're talking, like, really high numbers compared to 139. And eventually they get to, like, 150 million and stuff like that. Uh, uh, but the guy with a power level of 139 blew up the moon. <laughs> under his own power. Yeah, well, what's the, what's the power level of the moon, though? Like, did the moon fight <laughs> back? Fuck, you know. I calculated the moon's mass. That was how I did that. And, you know, <laughs> it's dumb. It's really dumb, but damn it, it's dumb that I bothered with. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get we'll get you on the Naruto the, the problem then. Uh, well, actually, no, we have to get you on uh, uh, Macadamia so you can get you see what those numbers are about. I honestly, I I feel kind of bad that I don't care about Academia. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just like nothing about the thing has grabbed me so far, especially because it seems like the only people like the people around me who want to talk about why it's good are mostly saying things along the lines of, I want these boys to kiss and I want to date the frog. And like, that's cool, but it doesn't work for me. Um, there's a villain called Stain in like the second arc who is just the nineties and he, so he's it, carnage. He is pretty much. He's got the fucking tongue and his name is Stain and he's like, Oh, I'm the new vision of justice and that, that, that. And they're like, yeah, fuck you, man. But he's, like, really honest about <laughs> it. But everybody just tells him to well, fuck I'll off give, all the time. I'll give you partial credit on that one. And, like, you know, that, that's a whole conversation I really enjoy. But yeah. it's it's one I enjoy as a writer now. 
Like, I like the fact that you can make these interesting stories even with contrasting and different types of power. And that also means you get to do this wonderful thing that um, America Chavez, who isn't particularly meta-aware, uh, gets to do where, uh, like, America Chavez wins pretty much any fight that the group gets into that involves punching. So all the stories with her in it are about how do we position this so America Chavez can punch it while the enemy is is setting things up to the idea of, like, what's the way we can avoid letting America Chavez punch this? I, look, look, I like that. It, I do. All right. I do. I do. I want to see, like, the range of, like, emotional invest, like, the, like the, the emotional range of these sorts of meta characters and like meta commentary. Because, like, at some point I do recall, like, them treating the Joker in this way. And like, yeah, yeah, blah, right. Mm. Like he's reference issues. I think and stuff. more than Batman fatigue, Joker fatigue is real. Oh right, like real talk. Like it would, <laughs> it might probably hate Batman even less than Joker than if you know if he wasn't attached to the Joker. But like, like yeah. I know I know Harley does a bit of that, and I've been like circling around like reading the Harley series just because. I've softened to her over time, like this modern version of Harley, and like had like good recommendations from people. So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna get to that. Yeah. If, if on, a, on ever- a related note to that, I mean, there's the Joker's son. Oh God, is that that? Yeah, that was a character they introduced. And they tried to keep him going during a crisis event, and during the crisis event, it came out that people hated him. So he got introduced in the event and killed off in the event just because everyone hated him. Well, there's the whole thing that happened during, uh, like, Grant Morrison's runs on Batman, where he would, would have very insistent meta-narratives about how, like, no, all of that shit happened. You don't get to forget it happened. You know, all the, like, stuff that, you know, nobody cares about anymore, or, like, you know, extremely early Golden Age or, like, mid-Silver Age craziness, you know, try to, like, write it into the plot where, you know, some of it happened while Batman was, you know... Under some kind well, of influence. Well, that, or by the way, is a is a is an authorial flourish that Morrison really likes stories that make you feel smart for knowing a thousand bloody references, and <sighs> that's not actually good writing. It's really unapproachable and annoying, and it makes you more of an academic reference text than it makes you any kind of plot. It's kind of interesting. Like you go to Sentai, right? There are two like sort of celebratory anniversary referency series. It was Gokaiger, where they went on, like, a tour of Earth and met former Sentai teams. And, like, hey, hey, it's that guy. That's cool. And, you know, give me, like, a little bit of taste of what your series was about. You know, tell me your, like, mission statement. You know, maybe you can have a cool fight. And then you have Akiba Ranger. (laughs) Armado? And then you have, like, Akiba Ranger, which is, like, an actual, like, adult series. Adult, so to speak. For, like, adult fans. Starring people. Yeah, it's a, it's about a nerd, right? Yes, it's about three nerds. And there's a point where it's revealed that they're, like, be, they're fighting the writer of the show. And the writer of the show is this guy named Hate Saburo, who is the person who writes that Sentai series that you don't like, or that episode that you don't like. Rather, that's the name that gets credited to bad episodes. Like, historically. <laughs> Amazing. So, like, you write so something. So, it's basically by Alan Smithy. Yeah. And that's sort of the narrative that, and it works within the context because there's a whole lot to be that, but before this information comes out about, like, the nature of reality and how much their Sentai adventures are real, and then when they start being real, that's when shit gets weird. 
it was like a whole early segment of the show where it's like none of that shit happened, man. Y'all just like having weird hallucinations, but then it's like it actually happens, and then that be like falls down that whole rabbit hole. And the whole thing is like you know who is the sort of person who is a grown ass man watching the Sentai shows, and let's talk about those characters and like you know how obsessed you know, it's about obsession and delusion and things like that. So this is all decades' fault. <laughs> Most things. Anyway, so yeah, and and we'll we'll come as with everything. We'll come back to that. I think we're actually at the point now where we can start circling around on some of the stuff we did originally. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's like this is a type of thing you can do. It can be fucking annoying. Yeah, it varies, and like I like it. It's oh, and by the way, if you're in a role play group, and if you're like in, in a in a role playing story group or something like that. And you decide, I want to make a character who's, like, all meta and self-aware and, like, pulls the authors in. Don't. It doesn't work. I gotta get rid of my character with dice powers. Shit. No, no, that can, <laughs> that can stay. It's just, like, don't fucking, don't fucking demand that, like, you know, oh, this is actually all, all a man and a typewriter. Because, like, everyone else knows that because they're writing it. The audience is part of that. Leave it alone. That's the weird thing. Like, that anyway. context, it, it, it. It feels like it works so much worse when, like, you're in the room. Like, it doesn't... Yeah. Like, like, when you're one of the people on a typewriter. Yeah, fucking... Well, hey, but what if you get the writer's block? Do you get to get killed? Anyway. <laughs> as ever, always, that was From the Rooftops, a podcast about superheroes with all the liner notes and edits left in. Yes. And that was Clay. <laughs> that was Devin. And uh, tune in next time when we'll introduce you to Volt Tiger. <laughs> oh uh, someone's getting almost done with w then yeah I, i'm I'm really close to the finish line on w the the big threads on w were really really hard to to do like it turned a 27 minute episode of a show into like an hour because i was trying to make sure i got perfect screen caps of everything <laughs> yeah so you like ran through a whole ass of that one point <laughs> yeah I went, I went through like eight episodes in one night because i was grumpy and sad and i couldn't find mighty ducks on youtube <laughs> Did you did you need my ducks or anyway, something? Bye. <laughs> bye.